So as we open the show today, Pam, I want your reaction. Okay. Uh, Something I just came across. So a young lady, 36-year-old jewelry designer, Rosanna Ramos, says she's in the healthiest relationship she's ever had right now. Good for her. With a chat bot powered by artificial intelligence. Oh. So this is something she created in 2022. Uh, She lives in the Bronx, and her virtual beau is named Aaron. And actually, they tied the knot in March. What? Mm Mm-hmm. So she's never been more in love that she's reporting. With an AI person. With a chat bot that is out there on a platform you can use. There's several of them. Actually, I went and searched after reading this. I was like, well, okay, that uh, you help create it and then it interacts with you. You can't marry someone that's not real. On and on it goes. Hold on. Okay. (laughs) She says that Aaron is becoming the man that she wants him to be as they get to know each other. That she wants him to be. Well, d- yeah, duh. Key, right here. <laughs> right. I'm creating my own Because he's person. not real, and he can become, you know, she can make him anything he she wants. Okay. Uh, because all she's got to do is change a few settings, which she actually did because, get it, he wasn't being physically affectionate enough. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And, and then this is where it's kind of odd. I mean, obviously, it goes off the rails in a lot of ways. But it also is the world in which we live. Where Where is this from? Uh, there's several sources. I mean, okay, lots of different newspapers even talking about this. Because she even says she realizes he's fake. She knows. Okay. But yet, the allure of it and the draw of it is just captivating. How's he supposed to be physical? I, I don't even want to know. This person is off the rocker. <laughs> I don't even want to know. Um, but then the thing that kind of is the kicker to me is because there's there's a story, as the story unfolds, uh, it this whole interaction that she created online yeah. helped her get out of an abusive relationship that she had going on because it kind of helped boost some confidence and some, you know, you start to see what you could create in a sense with a relationship. But it is so fascinating to me because the fantasy is stuff that is so alluring to us as people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is fantasy. That's the whole point. That's, right. that's and, spot on. And if I like the idea of, oh, but I get I, the feelings this produces in me and I can tweak them or adjust them so I can even enhance it all the more, I can understand the appeal of that. But it's so fascinating because it's just not real at the end of the day. I, okay, so she started in 2022. Correct. Sure be interesting in 2024, in 2025 to go back and, and hear this because where things are, right? Because if I'm creating a, a, a quote-unquote person, if I'm creating mm-hmm. and managing everything they do... How long, even in a fantasy world, can that still be alluring? Absolutely. And and it's interesting to me because this is the corollary to this is how when we all start new relationships, the appeal of it is what's going on in this story of her. Right. It's that it's that allure. It's that obsession. It's that longing. It's that rose colored glasses, idealized environment on steroids. That's what this story is. This story is so off the But it also tracks. is one it's... of those. I think we all deep down wish 
for to a degree where it's just easier, where my partner would just be as I want them to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't want you to be what I want you to be because <laughs> well, you who you are <laughs> is undoubtedly 99% of the time better. <laughs> I got you. It, um, ah. Which begs me the question about what's the 1%. But anyway, um, it's, it's recognizing that what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks on the show and the reason I'm, I'm starting the show this way, just one, because it's a fascinating story of, of this lady and the world in which we are creating. And I mean that in every sense of the term, yeah, creating. Probably. Yes. Um, and how that does not align with life on life terms in a lot of ways. And it mm-hmm. for sure doesn't align with marriage on marriage terms and the way mm-hmm. we think about things and try to help present things in the mm-hmm. sense that conflict is absolutely good. Mm-hmm. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about communication and conditions with unconditional components yeah. and, and facing life as it really is, is a better way to go rather than how can I distort it or make it some illusion fantasy that makes it seem like it would just be a whole lot easier. Yeah. Uh, t- I mean, we say conflict is good, but you say this lady got out of the, it helped her get out of an abusive relationship. Well, if she was in an abusive relationship, well, by all means, you know what? Go over here and have a relationship with a computer so that you're not getting... Well, I can see it as a resource that helps. Is abusive like, you know, anyway. Right. Um, So weird. That is so weird. (laughs) Well, this is is passionately married. That's... And, and one of the things that uh, we want to try to do is just talk about life on life terms and relationships on relationship terms. And hence the reason we're doing this episode today, uh, which we're revisiting a conversation from a couple years back with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife mm-hmm. on resentment mm-hmm. and also the idealized what what's really going on in a relationship. This is a conversation that's worth coming back to, because if you think about it, Resentment are one of those things that I just keep holding on to to avoid what really is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good, good pairing there, right? Right, because I keep wanting to program you into my AI, <laughs> and you keep not doing it, and it's driving me nuts. Right, and so I can't. I won't address it. I don't bring it up. I don't let it go. And I also don't recognize my own culpability and what goes down. And yeah. so this is a timely revisit in my mind because it helps us No, resentment is something we all are going to face. Mm-hmm. And one of the phrases that we talk about in this episode is uh, it's like the canary in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. It's, a sig- it's a signal of something else that's going on too. That's a bigger deal. Yeah. And so again, two weeks in a row now of everybody gets the full show because these are topics that are so worth unpacking and recognizing the importance of how we are trying to create an artificial world at the expense of the real world. But the real world is so much better in marriage when you can really face it well. Mm -hmm. So all that's coming up right after this. Ladies, join me in our campaign to stop wearing uncomfortable bras. Perhaps you don't know where to find the ones that are so comfortable you forget they're on. Thankfully, Honey Love has you covered. 
Upgrade from traditional bras that use an uncomfortable underwire. Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. Plus, they're made with a fabric that's so soft, it feels like a second skin. For a limited time only, you can get Honey Love on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with an exclusive link, honeylove.com passion. Honey Love's bras are designed with back smoothing fabric to prevent bra bulge, or maybe you like the more relaxed lounge bra, like their V-bra. It offers the support of a traditional bra without the uncomfortable underwire. It's designed to lift and separate. And we got to have those ladies taken care of. We're t- uh, we've talked about them for a while now, and I love it because Honey Love has you covered for everyday looks, workouts, nights out, and more. And I'm not kidding about their comfort level. I've gone to bed forgetting I still had my Honey Love bra on. Treat yourself to the most comfortable bras in the market and get 20% off at honeylove.com passion. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com passion. It is always a privilege and an honor to welcome to the show uh, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who's a colleague of mine, a friend. Um, we're legacy people in the sense of what we were just talking about before the before we hit record of kind of looking at what's our mark and meaning on the world. And Jennifer, you're making a good one, and so I'm glad that you're <laughs> a part of the show again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so you know, you and I have a lot of the similar uh, training if you will. Mm-hmm. And with all, all the stuff we've done with Dr. Schnarch, um, mm-hmm. and, and the, the clientele we have, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. And one of the things that's always such a privilege to me to have you, uh, on the show and then the conversations you and I have, have had off offline at times, um, mm-hmm. it's just the challenge of, of seeing it slightly different, but it's still the same framework or lens, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and so what I'm thinking could be beneficial for today, Jennifer is, um, I come across this, and I'm guessing you probably do too, of a couple that it's not necessarily somebody coming to see me for, for therapy or for coaching, but it's interactions with people that will say, we, we have a really good marriage. It's even a great marriage, but mm-hmm. we really struggle at sex or we mm-hmm. have a really great marriage, but we can't parent worth a darn <laughs> with yeah. each other. Or, you know, so they kind of do the pie chart, if you will, of, yeah, you know, what it would be seven eighths of it is fantastic. They say, but that one eighth isn't. And so yeah. I'm curious, does that jive with when you hear that, what goes on in your mind? Uh, yeah. So I do definitely get that kind of presentation. Um, and I do think that in some ways it confuses people because it's only one eighth of the pie chart. So why does all of it feel infected <laughs> okay. with what's lacking now? I, I do think people try to frame it as we're really good friends. We parent really well. So we just got this one little issue, but you know, I think there is research that shows that, that when the sexual relationship is not working well, it has more negative impact than right. when it, than positive effect when it is working well. Right. And I think the reason for that is because of the meanings of why you don't have a thriving sexual relationship, then shape, what it means to be good co-parents or anything else that you do together well. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that if people got married with the framing and understanding that this is a co-parenting relationship, well, then 
they would do fine without a sexual relationship because that's all that either one expected. Right. We're going to be good roommates. We're going to run a household well, and we're going to co-parent well. And if they do that well and they're friends in the end, fantastic. The problem is, is that most people don't get married under that assumption. Even right. low desire people want to be wanted. Now that's maybe yep. different than whether or not they want to have sex, but what's the problem in a marriage that's not sexual or not sexual enough that they're going to a therapist or coach for input is that there's this sense that at least one of the two doesn't feel desired. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense that there's limits on how much you can show of yourself in the marriage, how intimate it really can be. And, you know, I think there's a lot of couples that collude in a low sex marriage. Even the high desire person is often okay with marrying somebody who has a lot of anxiety overtly about sex because they themselves are anxious about it. So they participate in a more sterile relationship. But I think that sense that they aren't dealing with something or addressing something that's right. a part of marriage then makes them recognize that something is lacking, that something's dead in the marriage. Okay. And so, so in essence, they, uh, w the way I'm hearing all this, Jennifer, is the idea that uh, we go into this with these lofty expectations, if you will, because if we had a little mm -hmm. more realistic or compartmentalized, mm -hmm. as if, if, like we would a partnership, yeah. if you will, because marriage is an all-encompassing thing that is the trend has changed to where there's a whole lot more expectation placed upon the marital yes. marital That's dynamic right. and relationship and spouse than ever yes. before in history. For sure. <laughs> so no, right. It's, it used to be parsing. just like a survival relationship. You know, you're yeah, out there on the frontier. Yeah, right. absolutely. It was, it was even early culture. Once American mm -hmm. uh, industrial revolution came along, it became mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a different concept, but it's now mm -hmm. even magnified more. Yeah. Right. But uh, so it's, it's almost like when we come into it in these lofty goals, all of a sudden get burst because the reality mm -hmm. sets in. So yeah. what I'm almost hearing you say is the limits that we may place on some of these things that then become problems, i.e. a sex life or sharing a desire or even akin mm -hmm. to feeling desired mm -hmm. is I've placed a limit because it's become this area of like, I'm scared to bring it up. I'm scared to yeah. say something because it's too exposing. It's too risky. Or right. my, my hunch also is right. I've done it once before and it went badly. And so therefore right. the brain marked in don't ever bring that back up again don't ever try right. that move again or or what yeah. what not yeah well, exactly so um i do think it's true that we place way more demand on what a marriage should be than we used to i mean frankly time you didn't even have to really like the person you just had to be good good co-workers <laughs> so that you could survive on the frontier you know and, right. and reproduce together and so on and as those economic demands and survival demands have lessened and, you know, perhaps other factors, we've, we've really tried to make marriage everything. And, and while where that's really problematic is when we go to marriage with the idea that you, spouse, are supposed to make me feel like a million bucks all the time. You're supposed to make me feel good about right. me. Now, on the other hand, what I would say is we're freed up to do, uh, you know, it, outside of that idea of an entitled position around what a marriage partner should be for you, there is a human drive, in my opinion, to find a special other 
and to have a real friendship with that person. I think we all want to be accepted and valued by one other special person in our life. I think there's a real human drive for that. Okay. When we approach it from entitlement, it goes really badly. Right. You know, why don't you desire me even though I reject me? Why don't you get it together and think I'm great? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Versus refining ourselves to be people capable of intimacy and become capable of letting ourselves be knowable. And that's scary stuff. So we mm -hmm. all want validation. Who doesn't want it? And if you can lock somebody in that's promised God, they'll validate you forever. Great. You know, because yep. <laughs> now you can beat them with that idea. Yeah. Where do I sign up? Let's do yeah, it. Right? Exactly. Who doesn't want that? But if you think about what marriage is really, it's like a promise to God about the kind of person you're going to be vis-a-vis yeah. -vis the other person. And that's, that's committing to growing yourself into somebody who's capable of loving someone and sharing yourself, sharing the entirety of yourself, inclusive of your sexuality, that takes a lot more self-development, takes mm -hmm. a lot more ex acceptance of oneself that your spouse is not going to provide for you, but work you do within yourself to be able to share who you are without the demand or promise of validation. Okay. And so a lot of us step back from that and say there's something wrong with the marriage right? when really the marriage is just exposing the limitation in the couple. And, and do you also get this from the people you work with initially that they hear the idea of other validation and self-validation, right? Mm -hmm. that, that we come into a lot of things with this other validation mindset and that's what's wreaking havoc. That's what you're kind of alluding to with this mm -hmm. idea of, yeah, yeah, that's what's going to happen in my marriage is you're going yeah. to constantly make me feel good about me. Yeah. And I love your phrase of, even though I don't feel good about me, <laughs> you'll see past that. Yeah, right? yeah, you should <laughs> right? or you're getting in trouble, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but don't use, because I think one of our human uh, tendencies is, I think, well, if I'm not supposed to be other validated, that means I'm supposed to be 100% self-validated. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's an overreach. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's quite the right idea. And first of all, there's nothing wrong with validation because a lot of people are like, well, is it bad that I like? No, you know, right. no, any, not at all. Good, any good romantic relationship has a lot of validation in it, but it's coming from someplace honest, not out of a pretense of validation. You know, okay. there's some therapy models that are like, okay, hey, you say all this and then your spouse is going to be coached into telling you everything you think <laughs> is valid. And so it's kind of a collusion with the therapist in kind of lying to each other. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying the, the, the better. Oh, thing no, is keep to stepping on toes. You don't have to back up. Keep <laughs> well, stepping on toes. Well, all I'm saying is that the antithesis of that is not being cr brutally honest and being cruel True. either. Right. To be True. collaborative is to speak about the truth in a way to deal with what's true and to right. create something honest and decent with each other. That's the goal. So it's not honesty for its own sake. Right. But it's honesty that's about creating something solid and real. And that's scary to do. So we, in our natural response, is to step back from that. But now I've lost why I started talking about this. Well, no, I'm, I, oh, yeah, I want to jump on right? this. Yes, yeah, but I want to jump on this just yeah. real quick because mm -hmm. I think one of the things you're describing of being able to start to say things to each other that's honest also at the same time includes self-honesty. Yes. That's exactly right, of of, of my own blind spot awareness. Right. 
That's and right. at least a willingness to admit, I do have those. Right. You can't. <laughs> right? Because right. that's another component of it. Because some of us right. think, oh, no, I see myself completely clearly while oh, everybody yeah. else is going, yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, your friends don't agree with you on this. Your wife doesn't agree with you on this. Right. I mean, that's important data. Okay. So, but yep. yes. So the self-validated is not that like, it's not the John Wayne approach to life where you're like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I think I'm great. It's not that. It's a self-honesty that you're willing to really deal with and be honest about who you are. Right. And if you're going to make sure you're going to get acceptance before you say something, that's what other validation is. And it will always limit how honest the relationship is. If you're able to tolerate being knowable, which is going to be very humbling mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the time, because we also like our ideas about ourselves, and then there's reality. And so it's a willingness to see what's real and let our minds get course correct to get clear about right. who we really are and what we really are capable of and whether or not we're such a lovable or desirable person at all times. And that's self-validated intimacy. Right. So it's not like, I don't care. I do care, but not I'm trying to get you to see me the way I want to be seen. I care how you feel about me because there's good information in there about who I am and right. I need to deal with who I am. So let me see if this makes sense. This is also just for the sake of the nation that this listening, because some of the stuff that I've come across when we're talking about Schnarch is how do we apply it? Right. Because mm -hmm. it's one of those that uh, it's, mm -hmm. it can be it's very such a, mm -hmm. it's such a very great, it's, it's such a very clear way to view what's going on, but Applying mm. it is different because it's mm. what you're touching on. It's scary mm. as can be. Mm. It's humbling. It's exposing. It's mm. anxiety producing, not actually mm. reducing. Yeah. You know? right. <laughs> so to, to mm, speak yeah. up. And so tell me if I'm on the right track in the way I'm hearing where, where we're kind of going with this conversation. Because a couple of months ago, um, Pam came to me one morning after a quick little exchange we had had where she felt like I was punishing in something I said. Like she did mm -hmm. not perform up to task mm -hmm. or didn't satisfy yeah. something that was an expectation that she was picking up on, or I was yeah. delivering and she felt like she was being punished or in, in trouble yeah. because of it. And yeah. so she brought it to my attention. And this was the second time something like that had happened within the close proximity of like three weeks. Yeah. And so I finally was like, I'm doing the self-evaluation of, okay, I don't think that's an agenda of mine. I don't think I'm trying, you know, and, and yeah. that's probably my Disneyland version of me. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll be honest about this. And this is yeah. one of the things I've loved about listening to some of your work yeah. and the way you frame it is this was also a chance that I could be courageous and realize I may have a blind spot here. I yeah. may have something going on. I have no clue. And so I actually yeah. said to her, said, honey, this is the, this is twice in a short time. You have felt like I can be punitive mm -hmm. with stuff. Can mm -hmm. you give me a little more data as to why? Because yeah. I'm not aware of it, but I also want to deny the fact that it could yeah. be there. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. So help Good. me help me Good. see me better in this yeah. regard. <laughs> Great. Good. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, that's an actionable thing. Exactly. Like if your spouse has a view that's incongruent with your own, it doesn't mean your spouse is right. I mean, they have may have their own agenda, but if you want to be self-validated, you're going to go and find out what they mean because don't we all know that we can often see our spouse better than they see themselves? Right. And but the problem is the opposite is true. And so <laughs> <laughs> yep. and so to be humble enough, open enough to say 
well, tell me what you see so I can think about it honestly myself. Because the goal when you're self-validated is not about proving to your spouse you are the way you see yourself. It's proving to yourself that the way your spouse or others see you is or is not true. You're, that is to say, you're you're taking a look at who you are through the helpful lens of other people's perspective. Right. Because our minds are, are self-reinforcing. We like the things that create equilibrium within our own minds, and that may have nothing to do with what's true. Right. And when I work with clients, I see them do this. I say, no, this is what you're doing. Let's look at your behavior. And it's like, you know, you see the walls and the resistance because their mind is trying to block that information because it doesn't want the disequilibrium that will happen if they start to look at or accept how they're being experienced. So they will push off the messenger, shoot the messenger, rather than be honest with themselves. Well, lots of people do get honest, and that's how they start evolving and becoming more solid, is by dealing with that discrepant information, honestly. Um, And I I think there's a question you can ask yourself in this moment. Um, For those that are listening to this, and even for my sake, I'll do this uh, for my own benefit, too, to remind myself of this, too, of that anytime I get something that's coming across that I uh, am quick to shut down or deny. Right. um, How how do I ask myself the question of, okay, what if their stance is true? Right. What if their view is true? Even if it's only like 1% true, Exactly. there's still truth in there, right? There's still something in there that I would benefit from acknowledging, addressing, confronting, and at least this is my belief, not that I have to necessarily change it. I have to own it better. Yeah. Right. Because it could be some of the things that I, that my view on something is just going to be conflictual with my yes. spouse and those that are close to me. And so how do I not fight the fact of, oh no, I don't, I don't really believe that right. and fight the fact of, yeah, right. we just don't see it the same. Now it's a well, more honest. Yes. That's conflict. right. So one thing is, I think what we often do is we will use where our spouse is getting it wrong to cover up where they're right. And they usually are plenty wrong, you know, and that is to say they've got their own agenda. They've got their own desire to not look at their own part in a problem. And so they'll, they'll overstate things. You never do blah, blah, blah. And then the spouse will be like, what do you mean? I never, I just last night I did blah, blah, blah. And so they get fighting about where they're wrong rather than talking about where they're right. So the thing I will sometimes say to myself and I teach people to do in my courses is, is two questions like talk to your spouse about where they're right. Don't lead with where they're wrong. Talk to them about what they're getting right because you're starting to pull your mind to true north. You're cleaning up your internal compass when you do that. When you're over here trying to get them to get their eyes off of where they're right by focusing on where they're wrong, you're corrupting your inner compass. It's a great disservice to oneself. It feels Mm -hmm. good, but it's very bad for you to screw with your ability to track true north. So to ask yourself the question of where is my spouse right about this? Even if they're getting 90% wrong, (laughs) let's talk about the 10% that I can see. That will help you. The other thing I will say to myself, this comes from a book I read about communication, but I can't remember the name of it, which is what am I pretending not to know about my role in these circumstances? Right. So what do I know is my contributing part, even if I'm not responsible for all of the trouble? What do I know has been indulgent on my side or hasn't been fair 
because again, the more you can get anchored into what's true, you think of it as like creating a real foundation, the more stable things can get. And the more you can tease out the other stuff. So it, the, to make it actionable, like be honest with myself. Yeah. Yeah. And you that's, know, that's such a huge difference. Yeah. Because I think that's the thing that most people, when they first, this was even my own experience, maybe when I started first starting learning about the whole concept of differentiation mm-hmm. is at first it sounded so scary because it's like, wait, you want me to address conflict by actually leaning into it more <laughs> by yeah. actually even running to it, yeah. if you will, exactly. um, rather than realizing when I do that and it's honest and it's, and it's truly from the best in me, as Schnarch would yeah. refer to it, I'll, it'll settle, right? right? Like your anxiety starts to settle because now it becomes much more tangible, much more real. And it's, right. then you're dealing, this is the way I frame it. It's akin to exactly the way you're describing it. Then you start dealing with what's present, not what's missing. Yeah, exactly. And too often we go into this idea of, well, the problem with my marriage is this, and it's what's I don't missing get rather this than or that. No, uh-huh, the problem exactly. with your marriage is what's present between yeah, what right? you're actually <laughs> doing as a what, couple. What you're right. doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think you were alluding to this as well, which is this idea that a lot of times we pretend things, not just about ourselves, but we pretend things about our spouse that we don't believe because we don't want their anger. We don't want the conflict. They're pressuring us to go blind to something in them. So we are pretend like we're in Disneyland with them. Let's let's play along, right? Let's play along because I don't want the conflict. I don't want the invalidation. Maybe I'll never get sex if I talk about this. So I'll just pretend it's not there. Whatever it is, right? (laughs) And And so I think that that also takes courage to talk straight to your spouse about where you disagree with them. Now, this is not out of that self-righteous need to be right and defend them off. When right. you're doing this constructively, you're going to be anxious too. Yep. Because you're throwing away the validation you want. And so if you're a classic nice guy or an accommodating female that just kind of goes into a chameleon and accommodates a more demanding partner, this is going to be a stretch to say what you really think without going into self-righteous anger or yep. throwing it all away when you start to get pushback. Right. And so you can track it by an anxiety that comes from being honest, but that's your brain growing into a more solid self when you do that. Just like when you're at the gym and you're uncomfortable, yep. when you're talking about what's true and it's truth you wish weren't there, you're going to feel that discomfort, but it's your brain growing to to start creating neuropathways that are based in what's true. And as faith-based people, we say we're all about truth all the time, but a lot of us have learned a way to be good that's about pretending things are better than they are. (laughs) And that's actually faithless. That's like you don't believe in truth as the core good. And I think Christ was very critical of that idea that you do the auspices of goodness, the pretense of it, but you don't want to deal with what's true about yourself. Right. And that's, you know, that hypocrisy. Yeah, it's not transformative then. It's, right. It's not restorative then. It, it takes away the the whole premise of it and it becomes yeah. just actions and role play, which is kind of how we started the conversation of yeah. we've got these areas where we seem to be. So maybe the way to frame it of the areas where it seems like we would label it as great is um, we play that role well. 
Yeah, exactly. But the area we're that's not, right. that one eighth is actually the one that's the most exposing of the of, others of the whole that's thing. beyond exactly. the role. That's and it's right. getting into the deeper of who am I in this role? Because this speaks to that's my right. language, because my whole journey, if you talk about the transformative path I have been on uh, as an adult was recognizing in my late twenties, early thirties, the fact that I was really good at role-playing. Yeah. Pretending. But I was not good at being in in my own life. Yeah, exactly. And and so it took some serious kind of self-assessment, humility, (laughs) confronting uh, almost disaster in marriage to realize I got to grow myself up. And yeah. I got to deal with life better. And that's when Schnars came along for me mm. because yeah. it gave the perfect framework of like, this just makes complete sense. How do I get yeah. better at this? And Right. Like so many of us are living other people's lives in pursuit of validation. <clears throat> right. And it right. may look really good, might get a lot of validation, but it's not coming from something authentic in us. And so it drives resentment and a sense of disappearing and it's in, it's, it's not compatible with intimacy. It might be compatible with the auspices of a friendly marriage, but right. it is not intimate. It's not honest. And so let so me pivot I think just, you're right. Yeah, go ahead. I, I want to pivot yeah. real quick sure. on, because I remember in one of your classes um, mm-hmm. that you you had, you, you spent some time on the concept of resentment yeah. and how it actually is a good um, signal. There you go. I was thinking messenger, the signal's mm-hmm, better. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about that some, because I think that can be incredibly beneficial for people sure. to understand there's yeah. there's something going on that you can use that for. Yeah, well, I, I think resentment is a signal that there's something that needs to be addressed in your life. And I think it can take one of two forms, but it is a it is the canary in the coal mine. It is. A, and so paying attention to it, it can be that you're just being a baby. Okay. (laughs) And, and let's just rule that one out first is that you're saying yes to things, but then pretending like somebody made you do it as opposed to you really did choose something and you're not taking responsibility for the fact that you've chosen to do something that's hard or inconvenient, but you really did choose it and you'd choose it again, but you're trying to use it to get attention or validation that you're good or you're whatever. And, and so you're not, you need to just, you know, so that's, Say to that's yourself, like the, knock it off. <laughs> that's like that's like the one down approach to try to capture that's and right. control something. That's right. It's the martyr, you know, poor me. I'm doing this thing even though I really had a choice to not do it, but still right. poor me somehow. And that's maddening for people in relationship to that because you don't you say yes, but does she really mean it? Does he really mean it? Am I going to pay for mm-hmm. this later? You know, right. it's like, no, I don't want anything from you because you're a drag to get things from because you make me pay for them. So we can be resentful in that indulgent way. Yep. And then we, resentment can also be that there are things that matter to me that I'm not taking, I'm not being honest enough about, that I'm giving up too much, that I'm kind of making the other person responsible for the fulfillment of my desires or making room for me, and they're not doing it. So a lot of us kind of instinctively yield, especially if we've learned the idea that that's Christ-like to just, you know, yield no matter what. But we often have a covert expectation that this people will look out for me if I'm looking out for them. And that's just usually not true. We teach people how to be in relationship to us. And if we keep devaluing ourselves in an interaction, we teach other people that they can get away with that. And then they're not malicious necessarily. They're just 
you're not holding up what matters to you. And so that resentment is a signal that you may not be operating sufficiently from a self-respecting place. And you're looking for others to manage that respect of you. And it's not their job as much as it is your job. And that's how we started it of, I want you to respect me, even though I don't. Yes, exactly. And so I, on my social media yesterday or the day before, I, I just did a quote about, you know, it's often easier to resent a spouse for the respect we don't get than to respect ourselves enough to stand up for something that really matters. That's the self-validation yep. to move forward and say, hey, I'm, I'm saying yes to too much and it's, it's undermining us as a couple. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So if that's one, right, on this idea of uh, there's a martyr to it or there's the, the poor me, yeah. What else are the okay, signals? So that's no, that's the, okay. So those that's I'm doing. Those are two. So martyrs like almost blatantly indulgent, and Thank then you. this other one is more like one down, instinctive, giving it up. It's not so much like a superior martyr. It's more like I'm disappearing. I don't know how clear I'm being about the dif- no, distinction between those two, but that's more like I've got to take up more space in this marriage if the marriage is going to thrive. Uh, but it doesn't have all that one-up victimy stuff necessarily. Okay. It just means I've got to move towards some hard things that are scaring me. But that resentment is a signal that I'm not in alignment internally, and okay. I need to figure out how to get there. Yeah. And is it also can it be a relational signal too? Is there yeah, is there a more, component definitely. of that? Yes. Say more what you mean, just so I can follow well, the question. Well, so, so I, because one of the things I love about the whole differentiation model is, is the data that is presented to us first and foremost has to be addressed on what's my colluding culpability. How am mm-hmm. I helping co-create this stuff? Right. Mm-hmm. Because if I, before I take on anybody else that matters in my life, I better take on myself. Yeah. But I think there's also a component of, can there be And maybe I'm kind of answering my own question I'm throwing to you as I'm thinking this through Mm -hmm. (laughs) out loud of Mm -hmm. a resentment that I may have that's been ongoing in my marriage could be because my partner hasn't stood up for something that they say they claim they care about, but I haven't had the guts to say and call them on it to say, do you really care about this or not? Because that's Uh more anxiety that would come at me that it's almost calling them out. Yeah, you're saying you could take advantage of your spouse's difficulty of holding what they really want. Is that what you mean? I just want to make yeah, sure. I'm, well, I'm, not I'm just kind of thinking of it as, is because resentment's going to be one of those things that runs rampant in a lot of relationships. I mean, I think even in the best of marriages, we're going to have, yeah. that's a, that's an undercurrent. It's something that's just there. Mm-hmm. And, and I better take care of it because it's going to become above the threshold if I don't. Mm-hmm. And what we've talked about thus far is the fact that it's something that I have to do of my own doing and my own agency yeah. For my own worth, right? And respect. Right. But is there also a relational dynamic that, that right? Maybe you're, the canary in the coal mine resentment. Got it. I mean, maybe what you're out. saying is you feel your spouse's resentment and maybe they're not dealing with it, but you feel it in the air all the time. And is there a way to go and address that? Because it's that's leaning into Absolutely. the struggle. That's leaning that's into struggle. what and could come back. Living, at honestly, us. it's like, am I on glue or? Are you mad? <laughs> uh, and if you are mad, talk to me. What right. are you mad about? Because that's going to push your spouse, as long as you're really genuinely trying to understand if you have a role in their unhappiness, yeah. uh, that's going to push them to take more responsibility one way or the other. Never mind. I'm just being a baby. I like punishing you. You're easy to punish. <laughs> okay. 
that could be one real legitimate response. Or no, I really am upset. I feel like I've talked to you about this 400 times and you don't deal with it. That could be a response from your spouse too. And so, yeah, you're you, absolutely. I think couples who are talking in code, but there's all this anger going on below the surface. Right. Are trying to collude in some pretense that things are fine. Right. Rather than get more honest and deal with it. And that's, we, we like covert warfare often because you don't have to take as much responsibility Yep. as I'm really angry at you and I plan on punishing you for the next four days. I mean, at least it's straight up. <laughs> yeah. Cause I could take a trip. <laughs> so buckle up because it's going to be bad. Yeah. Like, Hey, look at that. I got a conference these next four yeah, exactly. days. Perfect. Take, I just take the four days. I, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay. Cause yeah. that's, that's the beauty of, of just trying to think through this lens of the way we all operate mm-hmm. um, is, is, is a diluting of ourselves or, you know, it, it's, it's not quite looking at what is as cleanly mm-hmm. as maybe I need to, because it takes work. It takes courage. Oh, it does. To, to step up and ask yourself these hard questions of what's my role? Yeah. What's, what's the real issue? What's the real problem that's being co-created? What's my part in it? And then yeah. also what's my marital dynamics part in it? Cause I think some of this is just what comes with, I'm with somebody that wants what I don't want sometimes. Yeah. And then it becomes, yeah. what do I do with that data? Right. And I think, you know, inherent to that process is it's maybe paradoxical, And maybe it's, you know, just getting into the second half of life here that it just becomes so obvious that to do that is to, the gift in it is you just deeply are accepting your humanity. You don't have to pretend anymore that you get things right all the time and that you didn't, that wasn't what you meant or any of that stuff. (laughs) You can just be more like, oh yeah, that's true. That's not cool. I'm sorry about that. Me, it's just, there's just more ability to, it's not big news. Right. That you're a human being and that you do things stupidly sometimes. And right. so you get more able to handle it, which means you get more able to walk towards it, course correct, do the right thing, because you don't have so much ego in it. It's just more like, shocker, there I went <laughs> being dumb again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so we're, I think when we're younger, we're so, like our worth is tied to some, some kind of false perfection. And so we're fending off any idea that we're anything short of it while we're berating ourselves internally because we aren't perfect, you know, it's just a pretty miserable place. And so when you can just embrace the fundamental reality of being human, you handle it much better and you're more gracious in it and you forgive others more easily because they're human too. And, mm-hmm. and we all are amazing and precious anyway, even though we do dumb things. And so like the more you can lean into that, the freer your life is and the richer it is and the more gratitude that's in it and the more humility that's in it. But it does mean putting your ego on the altar, which is easier to talk about in a podcast than to do, but, <laughs> but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, that's the same kind of stuff we've been talking about all the way through of being able to have the courage to ask the difficult questions of yourself or right. uh, I came across this, this was from Mark Manson, uh, one mm. of the chapters in his book of, just asking the idea of what if I'm wrong? Yeah. You know, taking that stance on most yeah. everything that happens in life. You know, yep. I've it's had this belief, I've had yeah. this structure, I've had this whatever. Yep. Well, what if I'm wrong? With right. It? And see where right. that he leads. He really you. promotes this honesty that's uh-huh. at the core of, I mean, he's talking mostly about masculinity. I really like his work, but this, that's the core of strength is being straight, being honest, you know, 
And I think a lot of us want to be strong without real integrity because integrity is literally strong. You're not a house divided. You don't aren't crumbling in discrepancy. And so, but that honesty, that process of confronting, what if I'm wrong about this? Yeah. That takes a lot of moral courage, but you, you get the reward that comes from it. Yeah. Cause I think even what you were just alluding to on getting to the second stage of life, you know, and this mm-hmm. idea of you get a little more contemplative, maybe we get a little more legacy focused. Mm-hmm. We get a little more, what's my impact? What, what really does matter? Mm-hmm. You know, that coupled with that is this idea of I've, I've, I've started to learn who I am. Right. But I think equally important is I finally accepted who I'm not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Die, yeah. Right? That, that I don't right. have to be everything to everyone. And I don't have, yeah. that I have a limitation and that's okay. Yeah. I don't have to have this impact with this and be this person for this person. And it starts to just become a much more solid. That's the word I've landed on. It seems to resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. I'm just The goal is just being a lot more solid in who I am, which means I'm felt and I'm experienced warts and all. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So is there any kind of things we need to wrap as we're wrapping this up that's still kind of percolating out there in your mind to help land this? Because I think this is a good way to frame the whole view of what happens in all, in a lot of marriages, right? I mean, yeah. a majority of them is just because we have seasons or we are definitely full on in this. We play the role of married life. Okay. Or, or yeah. well, but is it truly transformative and rest restorative? Well, see, I think, you know, um, there's maybe a couple ideas of, of schnarches that I particularly appreciate, which one is that marriage is a, how did he say it, is a people-growing machine. And, yep. you know, from my faith tradition, we have, and I, I think many Christian faith traditions, there's an idea that marriage is divine as an institution. I think one of the reasons that resonates with me is that marriage pressures your development because you've got somebody there yep. showing you your warts <laughs> yep. and saying, Hey, it hurts when you do this. That's, yep. that's not nice, you know? And so that is about giving yourself more information about how to refine who you are and to expose your limitations in being able to love. And it's, it, it helps us get out of our self delusion. So I think that we have the possibility to relate to marriage, not as a prison, not as some guarantee that somebody's going to love us, even if we're being dumb and immature, but to see it more as a mechanism God's given us to grow ourselves into more refined people. And giving purpose to that struggle helps tremendously. That's the second idea of Shinarsha's, which is discomfort for growth. That when, When you have a purpose in it, I'm not just being uncomfortable because life's miserable till you die. Okay, well, that's very hard to tolerate. But if you're saying, well, this hurts, but I believe in the process. It's hard to be honest. It's scary. It makes me anxious. But this is why faith is a virtue. I'm tolerating the uncertainty to create more good in the world, to create more strength in my marriage, in myself, in my family. So when you can see that larger goal, it helps tremendously to tolerate the humiliation fundamental to living more honestly. Now, I, that's well said, Jennifer, that, because I think that's, this is what, this is some of that stuff that's kind of built off of Viktor Frankl's work of reframing mm. suffering yeah, and struggle right. and, and making a meaning attached to it. Of, yes. That changes everything. And so if you can look at your task 
yes. of what I'm facing in life because these are the dynamics that are immovable. That's right. Right. If I'm going to be in a relationship, what regardless of the level of relationship, there's dynamics that are at play. That's right. And so yeah. I can spend a lot of energy trying to change those dynamics or I can recognize they're actually trying to produce something. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's very good. So Jennifer, how can people um, that have been digging this conversation that we're having uh, find more of, of your particular sure. specialty and expertise? Sure. So you go to my website and I have a lot of online courses. I am LDS. I grew up um, as a Latter-day Saint. So I'm focused on that group, but it's really, they're good materials for, it's like today, right? So that it's is applicable. It's applicable to everyone because yeah. I've seen every single one of your courses and yeah. wholeheartedly recommend them. So yeah, thank you. So yeah, so there's courses there. And then I also just started a podcast. I don't know if you know about this, but I started a podcast called Room for Two in which okay. I'm doing couples coaching with real couples and applying a lot of the principles that I talk about and that I mm -hmm. teach in my online courses to these couple situations. So it allows people to listen in and see themselves in these couples and get the feedback that I'm giving to them. So it's kind of vicarious coaching. And then I do an instructional element uh, on the end where I talk about something, some okay. principle or idea that was fundamental to this conversation. So it's a paid podcast. So it's 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 gotten rave reviews. People have said they can relate to so that's many awesome. of the couples and that it's really helping them change things in their own lives. So that's my biggest project lately that I've really been loving. That's awesome. Well, Jennifer, um, I can't thank you enough for every time you take some, some time out to hang with me and help me get better. Uh, yeah, thank it's, you. It's great to have you as a colleague. Thank you. Yeah. I thank you. I always love our conversations and uh, I miss being able to see you at Schnarch conferences for so many reasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe we can create one of our own as a, as a group of colleagues again. So. Uh, we, we're sure we can come up with something. Yeah, so. we need to. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Jennifer. Thank you. It's not surprising when you look at our uh, stats, babe, over the last several years, mm -hmm. uh, decade that, uh, repeatedly the ones that rank really highly mm -hmm. are the ones with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife because the phraseology, the framework, the collaboration that, that we have, because I think we have such an overlap of how we look at things mm -hmm. that it's so easy to, to blend well. Yeah. She brings a lot to the table. Um, really thankful for, for her perspective, for yours, for people that are, out there just pounding and hitting the hard topics within relationship because we got to keep these things together. Right. And we got to keep looking at how we're dealing with life. How am I dealing with the resentment? Right. And, all, and also continually keep coming back to the common denominator of our stories is ourselves. <laughs> right. So if I can look at it through a better lens about myself and my own culpability, man, I change the whole possibility mm -hmm. of what can become. Mm -hmm. Transcripts are available on each episode's pages at passionatelymarried.net. And also you can find all the advertisers, deals, and discount codes. Uh, so please consider supporting those who support the show. So however you took a little bit of time out uh, from your hopefully not artificial world, but real world to spend it with us in the real world. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>